Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. There he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit of the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to it and heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how in the world can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture the man was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, justice was taken from him. Who can describe his posterity? For his life was taken away from the earth. Then the eunuch said to Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? So Philip started speaking and beginning with this, with this scripture, proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. Now, as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What is to stop me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch did not see him anymore, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, found himself at Ozotus. And as he passed through the area, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Philip and God, the, uh, what you want to teach us through him. Teach us through his life. Teach us through his obedience. Teach us through his following of your Holy Spirit. Lord, his, his ability to be sensitive to your spirit. And God, I just pray that you'd guide us. Guide our reading of this and guide our discussion. And uh, Lord, we just pray you bless us in your spirit and guide us by that same spirit of which you led Philip all those years ago. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. (coughs) So we have our, my theology pub meets on Wednesday nights. And we got to meet this last Wednesday down down in Four Corners. And it was a really great conversation. And we we have a theme uh, at, uh, at, uh, at Theology Pub and we call it Narrative Theology. It's what defines what we do. It's, it, it's what defines our conversation. And what I mean by narrative theology is that we don't go through like theological topics and subjects like, hey, we're going to, you know, like in seminary, it kind of comes from the way that I went to seminary. Um, a lot of seminaries and colleges, like I learned in, in undergrad, was a thing called systematic theology, where you would put all of the, the-, the themes in scripture into systems. So you have all this concept about, you know, sin. You have all these, all these scripture passages and the, this theology and you pull from all these theologians and talk about sin, sanctification, you know, sal- salvation, eschatology, the end times and the church. And, but you, you put them together by, by themes versus how I learned theology, which in seminary was historical theology. So it was more of a history class and it showed how theology was shaped and how theology was shaped by different people, and what happened in their circumstances that influenced their theology, how they were forming their own doctrine, and what that, how that doctrine that that person was forming formed the theological conversation. 
over the years. Uh, when you have things, you know, like the Catholic Church, you know, coming into this very legalistic and, and, uh, indulgences thing, and then all of a sudden you got Martin Luther and Irenaeus, you know, not Irenaeus, you know, you have, uh, what's his butt? Um, my brain, the guy. Anyway, one of the other, the reformers, basically, and then, and of course, the Calvin and then Arminius and all those guys that, that shaped the theological conversation. But you don't realize until later that Arminius was actually a disciple of Calvin, and Calvin was a disciple of Luther down the down the road. And so it's like this whole like how was theology formed and shaped throughout the years, and then into evangelicalism that we've got today. And so that's how we study, and so that and so we realize this, and so that we call it narrative theology, following after that same pattern that we are all theologians. Theology just simply means the study of God. So each one of us in our lives has life experience, the way that we were saved and came to faith in Jesus, and the way that we, we learn how to read the Bible and how we bring that to the conversation of our church, of our relationships. And so we call it narrative theology. So we're just like sharing our stories on, on, uh, on Wednesday because two, two people were, were new to the group, and it was awesome. Um, and so it was really fun you know, sharing our stories together. But it's interesting, it got me thinking about this, like, you know, all of us have a narrative. All of us have a story about how we joined his story, history, his story. All of us have a story about how we joined that and how God is, is shaping our lives. So do you, I mean, here's a, here's a rhetorical question. Do you remember how you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you remember your faith story? Could you give it in like a 30 second spiel? You know, to someone, if you're talking with them in the, in an elevator, you know, um, is there a, you know, is there, what is it that you remember mostly about your conversion, about your experience of Jesus? You always remember what a, most of us remember a face, a face. Who was it that shared their faith with you that led you to faith in Jesus? The faithfulness and love of someone else brought each of us to faith. Whether it was them sharing the gospel with us or whether it was a Gideon that put a Bible in a hotel room or handed us a scripture or the encounters and experiences that we had with people, we all have experiences with someone who shared their faith or were faithful to make sure that we knew about Jesus. Here's a question. Imagine if they didn't. Where would you be today? Imagine if they didn't obey God and speak up and do whatever they did in order to bring you to faith in Jesus. So how is it that we are a part of this same conversation for others? How, are, how can we become the face that God uses that someone remembers for the rest of their life and all eternity because God used us and we said yes. But the question is, how do we do this? Well, I think we can see a, a really beautiful picture with Philip here this morning is that we conquer the darkness by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ by walking by his Holy Spirit, like Philip did in this passage. But the problem with, with, with us today is often that we can get so distracted. And everything exists to distract us. This exists to distract us. You know, this exists to distract us. All these things in our lives, the newspapers and, and social media, magazines, whatever, whatever it is that comes in front of your face, 
<clears throat> Someone was saying that, you know, a while back that like they're doing a study and like there are over 3,000 advertisements that you see every day. Whether it's like in your peripheral, like those, the street sign, you know, the signs down the freeway or in a, on magazines or in the commercials or in a TV show, you see all these little old things, like over 3,000 advertisements per day. And that's multiplied more if you look at my back at my, at my computer uh, stickers. <laughs> Amberlin always makes, makes fun of me for how many stickers I've got. Uh, whoa, what happened here? Um, but so this, you know, and, and not so much just even the, the, the medias and everything, but also the things that rise up from within. Every worry. Every fear, every political or economical, moral or financial mismanagement that's going on in our country can be another opportunity to worry and get distracted from our calling. Every war, every conflict can make us so paranoid and turn us into preppers. A prepper, like someone who just like stores up for the end of the end of the world. Yeah, for, for the end of society, the grid going down and everything. Even though we just bought a, a, a biogas digester thing that's going to give us methane gas and fertilizer and, <laughs> and, a, and sewage, can, you know, can, you know wow. things have to do with our sewage. For when everything else. <laughs> for, when, for when it hits the fan. No. But, uh, but we can get so, we can even get so distracted by the good things. But even the, our calling, the things that we've been called to do. Like battling in the spirit realm, we can get so distracted by the battle that we forget to be a part. That we we forget that we're a part of the rescue mission, because that's what spiritual battle is: is going in and 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 basically like I love, I love how I heard a theologian talk about it this week. He said that like that basically our goal is to keep Jesus fixed, our eyes fixed on Jesus, and if, any, if anything gets in the way, blasted. And move on back to Jesus. Get your eyes back on Jesus. And help other people get their eyes on Jesus. And if anything's in the way, blast it so they can get their, their eyes on Jesus. And that's the battle. The battle is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And help others fix their eyes on Jesus. I, was, I, I love that. It was, I, I love the fact that we wrote that in our vows. You know, my, my goal is to love God first and you second. Love God for keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Our purpose is not to defeat the enemy. It's not our job. This is Jesus doing. Jesus does that. Jesus is the one that fights our battles. And so we can, but we can and, and are called to fight with him when he calls us up. And to destroy that which gets in our way of fixing our eyes on Jesus and others fixing their eyes on Jesus. Like yesterday, we were warring in, in the park. We were doing spiritual warfare to, to free the region, to free this area, to free this valley. Because there's, there's just a spiritual darkness, a spiritual cloud. And so we're battling through that. We're breaking that, breaking that, breaking that down. We're partnering with what God is doing in this valley in different ways so that people non-believers can be spiritually and you know enlightened and not distracted by the darkness around them 
Our purpose is to partner with Him to rescue and deliver people. Our purpose is to do the things God has called us to do, not just what seems right to us out of a need to fight something or engage in warfare, but intentional. Do what Jesus is calling you to do through the Holy Spirit. And so that's where we get to our, our passage here this morning with, with uh, the Ethiopian official. It's kind of funny how he becomes known, as, known by his sexuality. They did that back then too. People's identity becomes, or people's sexuality becomes their identity. Sin. Because sin. So eunuch is, yeah, if you don't know what a eunuch is, is basically someone who um, has been castrated. Um, and yeah, that's a whole conversation, which we're not going to get into today, today, but yeah. So basically like where they don't, where at an early age, they don't gain any testosterone. And so they are basically an effeminate, they're an, an emasculated male. They're basically a, a human steer <laughs> in essence. Uh, they have no testosterone. And so there's no sexual desire. There's no sexual drive, uh, which is why these, these, these people were often, like if you read the book of Daniel, were put into the charge, put into the service of the king. Because he was surrounded by his wives and he didn't want another man who would be tempted to partake with his wives and concubines. So all of his, 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 uh, his servants were eunuchs for the most part. But this man was both from another country and was not Jewish. This is what would be called a God-fearer. Someone from Gentile ascent that wasn't yet a proselyte, but was worshiping God, was worshiping in this, you know, going to the synagogues, going to the, the temple, and was able to hang out in the Gentile court, which is the big court on the Temple Mount. So the big court on the Temple Mount was for everyone. That was for the women, for the, for the disease, for the blind, for the Gentiles. That was just the big market, you know, kind of not marketplace, but the big area where you could be near the presence of Yahweh, and all nations were welcome. But to go into the smaller area of the temple, you had to be a, a Jewish person in good standing and clean. Um, so, and here's the, here's the thing. Like with this Ethiopian from another country, not Jewish, he had the plethora, like we were talking about, like he had a plethora of choices for gods to worship. Like we're going on a flight today. You know, what's, what's one thing that they always say at the end of the flight when you're about to get off? We know that there's many options for, for flying, and we thank you for choosing Southwest or United or Delta. Or they, always, they always say, like, oh, we know that there's many options, so we thank you for choosing us. Right? And this is the thing. Like, they had a plethora of gods that they could choose from. They even their own native gods. But they're disgusting. Yeah. Like, the worship of these gods. I mean, th- talk about, you know, God, what, it was about a year, year and a half ago, where you talked about Pan? And the worship of Pan and Pandemonia and how like there'll be a scream of a woman and everyone would go nuts, like start cutting themselves and like having weird orgies on the side and like it was weird. It was weird stuff, getting drunk, just all sorts of crazy weirdness. Unleashed. I mean that's where we that's why we get it you know, the worship of Pan, it's where we get the word pandemonium. It was literally the pandemonium. Crazy. But he chose he chose the worship of Yahweh. Because, honestly, the God of the Jews was probably quite clean and tame compared to the ways that other gods were worshipped. Right. He's like, I like that one. Yeah, right. Even though it's funny like how, we, how bloody we feel it is, right. how much sacrifice went into Jewish religion, but it was very clean. 
It was only animals, but it was also in a very specific place. And not everyone was covered in blood. It was just the priests. He made the long journey from Africa to Jerusalem. Probably during one of the festivals. This is probably, you know, at the end of one of, probably at this point, if we're looking at the timeline, probably around the fall now. So maybe we're looking at like Sukkot. Maybe they were, he was leaving after Sukkot. Um, Because part of Sukkot, like they stay up all night and they just study the scriptures, study the scriptures, study the scriptures. Um, But so, however, simply because they believed and served Yahweh didn't mean that they were like these, you know, these God fears didn't mean that they were liked by Israel. Oftentimes they're actually probably hated. And so it actually made it a little bit more of a obstacle for them to come to worship God, to worship Yahweh in the temple because they were still unclean Gentiles. This would probably, you know, this would typically pl- uh, place a barrier between guys like the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, who was a Jew, a Jewish man. However, Philip had, think about this, Philip had just experienced something incredible. He experienced not Gentiles, but he experienced Samaritans. They might have actually been hated worse than the Jews, I'm sorry, than the, Gen- than the Gentiles, because they had actually turned against God. They were, you know, the worship of God. They had they had completely separated themselves from the Jews. They had intermingled and intermarried and started worshiping pagan gods. And they were disgusting. They were like traitors. Even worse than unbelievers. But he had just come from this beautiful outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on these dirty treasonous Samaritans and saw them come to faith in Jesus and celebrate with them the salvation of Jesus Christ and outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the, the speaking in tongues, the deliverance from the territorial spirits. This amazing freedom and liberty. And so he, this, does not let, this barrier between him and a Gentile from Africa did not stop him from running up to that, tra- that chariot as soon as the Spirit told him what to do. He was just walking along the road. He thought, maybe, okay, maybe we're going to Gaza. I don't know. But it wasn't in Gaza. I was going to even put like a map like and say like, you know, but he didn't go to Gaza. God just wanted him on the road to Gaza. It might have just been like a mile outside of Jerusalem. We don't know how far it was. It was toward a desert place. But he came. And he saw beauty. The beauty that he saw with the Samaritans and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and salvation on the Samaritans he was able to now see in this Ethiopian eunuch from Africa because he was able to see this and do this because he was walking by the Spirit. Philip walked by the Spirit. He heard, he went, and he encountered an opportunity. Why? He heard, he went, and he encountered an opportunity. Why? Because he was a willing he listened, he obeyed, and he got an opportunity to share the gospel. So what can we learn from Philip in this part? That we must first have a posture of willingness. Because remember, God cannot and will not use a stubborn vessel. And Think about it, how can he? If we're like obstinate saying no, like our posture is no, he won't be able to move us. 
A object in motion is you know, tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and stubbornly so. We must then, what? Listen. Be willing so that when he speaks, we're able to listen. We listen. We have so many distractions. Like we said, we have so many distractions in our world that so often it's so difficult to hear God. It's so hard to hear God. And we may even reject his voice out of fear because we let fear become a distraction. Think about this. You know, when the Bible talks about this in, uh, in 1 Samuel, it talks about the, the still small voice. And it's kind of, I've, I looked this up. Uh, last this last weekend or so, um, but this is the the still the still small voice was with Elijah. So he came out, you know, came in the in the, the in the big thunderstorm, you know, big noisy, the strong wind, the earthquake. But he wasn't in any of these things. He wasn't in the obvious. But it was in the still small voice, in the light breeze. That's where he was found, right? But this was this happened with Elijah. But what happened right before this happened that he heard this small voice? He was up on a little hill or mountain called Mount Carmel with over about a thousand priests of Baal with a big showdown of Yahweh versus Baal. And they all there, you know, like, I think there was like, you know, 850 or a th- you know, up to a thousand people up there on the top of this thing. And just Elijah himself with the little altar to God, to Yahweh, and an altar over here to Baal. And he's and they're like cutting themselves and like beating themselves and like and just like throwing themselves on the ground. He's like, "Hey, pray louder! Maybe he's taking a vacation. <laughs> Maybe he's on the toilet." Ha ha ha! Like mocking them. It kind of seems weird that you know we can mock non-believers. I guess, man. <laughs> but but this whole like so he was up there and the you know and, and all he had to do was like, he said, "God." You know what to do. He wasn't, you know, yelling and screaming and like conjuring and all. He's like, Yahweh, show yourself that you're God, that you are the only most powerful God, the most high God. And he's like, second. Okay, go for it. <laughs> and then fire you. Took up you know, all the offering, yes, the rocks and all the water, bare ground, a hole like a crater, and then he had all the like eight hundred and something priests of Baal and Asherah slaughtered, executed at the base of the mountain. This great power, and he's now running in fear. He ran away. That's why God had to speak to him, because he ran away in fear. He was afraid of Jezebel and, and Ahaz. Ahab, sorry. This is where Elijah was at. He had witnessed all this stuff and yet he was running away. The still small voice of God often comes in the times of our greatest fears. During the times of our most great and paralyzing anxiety. That's when God wants to speak to us. (laughs) 
And Philip, here in our passage, he followed God's voice. He heard the whisper of God and was given the opportunity to share Christ. The door was opened. The door that God used for this, that, you know, that he used for this was Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was the passage that the eunuch was reading, that this, that this, this Ethiopian official was reading in the chariot. And two interesting things about this. So one, a Jewish man, not a Jew, no, I'm sorry, a Gentile man, not a Jewish scribe, was allowed and was able to get his hands on a copy of the Torah. And not only that, but one of the prophets. Like, you couldn't just pick one of these up at the local Jewish bookstore. <laughs> you know, Israel bookstore. They didn't have those. I was talking about the, the community of Qumran. They literally hand-copied every single character. If they messed up, they threw the whole thing away. That's why these people were the professionals. Like they would, they would, there was, they took every part of this process so, so, you know, sacredly and, and, and so sacredly, so somberly and, and seriously that if they even messed up once, they would just scratch it out and move on. No, they would throw the whole thing away. They would burn it. They would probably, you know, cut, you know, cut the, that piece off and then burn it and then tape another, a new piece on. But, but he was reading from Isaiah 53. Because it probably caught his attention, you know, because if, if it was Sukkot that they were celebrating, they would stay up all, you know, to all hours of the night just reading the Bible, reading the Bible, talking about the Bible, talking about the Bible. And it's interesting how this one, he even has that question. Like, what does he say? You know, is, you know, please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Like, he probably heard like a discussion or a debate over this very topic. And so he was trying to figure out, who is this talking about? And even today, I, I googled this, and you can find all these articles. They don't talk about it in the Jewish synagogue today because it's so debated. They don't even use it in the in the synagogues. So most Jewish people have never read this passage wow. because they can't explain it. Without Jesus, you can't explain Isaiah fifty-three. This is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ. Today, they debate it. Just like we in the church debate Cal, you know, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Is it predestination? Is it, uh, is it you know, free will? Predestination, all these, you know, superlapsarian, you know, like all these different theological concepts that they, we, we've been discussing for over 500 years now. And it's annoying. Just like them, it's probably the same thing for, the, for them. It's like, Isaiah 53, is this Israel? Is this us? Is it Isaiah? Is it a Messiah figure? No, it can't be that because then Jesus, then that means that our faith is in vain. <laughs> but it's talking about, you know, because like, you could read it in the perspective of Isaiah if you're a Jewish person. Like Isaiah is suffering, but it's not really because he always talk, he don't, he's not talking about it in the first person. He's talking about a he, them, and it's this sacrificial servant the suffering servant that accomplishes salvation, forgiveness, healing, of which they can't describe. So it really truly is a messianic prophecy of the, of the, prof, of the Messiah to come. Because if it talked about a, 
you know, talked about Jesus as the Messiah that they missed, they can't reconcile that. Jewish scholarship, um, like I said, is just is so debated and, and split on this that they still don't even, don't even read it today. Because they still can't explain it. Because they reject Jesus. Yeah. Jesus fulfilled... Because here's the thing. Because Jesus himself is the only person who has ever fulfilled all, every single word of Isaiah 53. If you look at Isaiah 53, that'll that'll be your homework. Write that down. That's your homework. Isaiah 53. Go and read it. (laughs) Homework. I read Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Those are great, great passages that fit together nicely. You know, it, it, he fulfilled every single thing like it was intentional or something. Hmm. Hmm. He knew what was going on. Because think about it. We, we all want a suffering servant. We, never want, we don't want to be the suffering servant. That's why we want a suffering servant for us. That's why Jesus came. We want someone who is willing to sacrifice their life so that we don't have to do it ourselves. That's why we celebrate Memorial Day weekend. That was a great prayer, Renee. That you know, we honor those who gave their life so that we could live ours. Because think about that. You don't, you don't discredit someone who, or dishonor someone that you know, stepped in front of a bullet for you. Right. I had an uncle that did that yeah. in England. Mm, yeah. My dad had a lady... And he knew from from driving school buses, it was, you know, she drove the the school bus next to him, and they were both in youth ministry, so they got to talk every day. And he told her that he was on on the you know just hey, would you pray, be praying for me? Like my I, I put myself on the kidney transplant list because I needed a kidney transplant. And she went and didn't tell him. She went and got tested, and she was a perfect match. And so she wow. gave my dad one of his kidneys. We all want someone like that. We all want someone like that. Estelle's nephew just got the heart yeah. from that child who yeah. had to die yeah. for the survival of her nephew. Yeah. And one of those like appreciative and also mourning because someone had to lose their life. Absolutely. You know. But we all want one of those suffering servants. I mean, think about this. You know, imagine, have you ever seen Independence Day? The old you know, Will Smith movie, yeah. right? Yeah. That was a great movie, right? Love it. I think, I think about like you know, the drunk you know, crop duster. Look who's back. I'm back, boys. Ha ha. But he had to give his life because you know, everything went wrong. It jammed and didn't work. And blah, blah, blah. So he flew his fighter jet up into the laser beam and you know, saved the world. He died so that everyone else could live. Sacrificed himself to save the world. Humanity. But here's the thing about sacrifices and saviors. We were never meant to have one. Humanity was not created to have or need a savior. Because we're not supposed to have anything that we needed saving from. Sin was not the plan. We were never created to suffer or deal with depression, anxiety, fear, and death itself. That's why. The Bible is so filled with Yahweh telling his people not to fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trust him. He's always with you. Because here's the thing. Intimacy with him. 
brings him close to our true, brings us close to our true humanity and shows us what it was supposed to be like. By being our Savior, he showed us the life that we were supposed to live without the need of one. That true flourishing, that true joy, who we were truly created to be. Jesus entered into our darkness so that he could be our light. Our true light. The light that drives out all darkness. He, You'll need an app. He, he became our Savior so that he could show us an eternity without one. Without a need for one anymore. He brought the new dawn of a new covenant and a new creation. By what? Spreading the gospel to the world. Look at this. The gospel has now gone to Africa, which means it's gone across the whole world. It's gone to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia to them was the farthest reaches of the earth. It has now begun to fulfill its earlier mission. That was fulfilled. Boom! Acts 1.8. Fulfilled within the first couple months of the church being a thing. The Ethiopian official took the gospel message that he received back to Africa. To the ends of the earth. To the the rest of the non-Jewish Gentile world. And now it's gone not just to the Jews in Judea and Samaria, but now to the ends of the earth. Because here's the thing, Matthew would then follow in his footsteps. He would go to Ethiopia later on. And he would continue the work that Philip had started with this man to fan the fan of flame. I'm sorry, fan into flame the, the flame of faith. But after many of the officials and the royal family were coming to faith in Jesus, the king himself commanded his bodyguard to run Matthew through with a sword. Wow. And that's how Matthew died. Luke makes a pretty big deal about these moments that Philip experienced. God had a plan. God had a strategic plan with intentional tactics already put in place. All Philip had to do was say yes. He got the playbook. All he had to do was say yes. He didn't even need the playbook. All he had to do was say yes whenever the Holy Spirit said something. Yeah. But he makes a big deal about these moments of obedience, which we're going to read, read through. Like Mindy preached last week, an action in order to be an active part of the kingdom expansion that God is doing in the world. It's interesting. Uh, in, the, in a research study led by a guy named uh, Tony Campolo at Eastern University in Pennsylvania, 50 people over the age of 95 were asked what they wish they had done differently in life. Here we go. There were many answers, but three themes were common uh, that he reflects on here. He said, two, sorry, one, uh, I would reflect more. Sit and reflect more. Two, I would take more risks. And three, I would spend my life on things that would outlast me. 
So three things. Reflect more. Risk more. Relate more. Put these things, these, these, these things together and you've got to ask, am I willing to risk moving forward, relating to others, to reflect together on the significant God and life questions? Because when we do, when we, when we take these things to heart, we realize that our call in this life is to engage and conquer. Engage and conquer. But here's the question, like, how do we, like, this, oh, engage and conquer, I'm going to hmm. yeah. how do we, How do we reconcile this, you know, so that we can live quiet and peaceful lives in the scripture with the radical advancement of the kingdom of heaven. Well, Philip understood that we take every opportunity afforded to us to share our faith. We take every opportunity. But we don't just go barging in the front door. The advancement of the kingdom of heaven is, like I said, strategic and intentional. It's part of a plan. You just go out there running and gunning, you're going to get killed pretty quick. You go running and gunning alone, you're going get, to get, get killed even quicker. Be a part of the mission of, being a part of the mission of God is following your general and not getting ahead of him. Because if you're just passionate and out there fighting and running and gunning, it's not going to go well for you or your family. It's not going to go well for us as a church if we move beyond the pace of our general, of our God. We keep in step with him. Conquer. I love this word, conquer. This is to maintain faith and faithfulness in the midst of great opposition, persecution, pain, and suffering. That's what conquering means for us as the church. Endurance. Conquering. In the midst of great opposition, persecution, pain, and suffering. I think there are a lot of people, a lot of folks, a lot of, a lot of pastors, lots of evangelists, lot, lots of different just people are out there who put a lot of undue pressure on the church today. They have to be like constantly and always out there and going, 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 sharing your faith and sharing faith and, and you know, and abolishing and rebuking demons and like, you know, getting all this sort of stuff and like, this is your life now. All, it's all you do now is just fight battles and fight battles and fight battles and go out there and share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And if you're not, you're a bad Christian. Thinner. What kind of a good Christian doesn't always share his faith all the time? But this is, the, this is, the, this not, you don't see that in the Bible. You know what the one thing you don't see in the Bible is? The, the New Testament? Evangelism. It's interesting. If you look in the Bible, in the New Testament, evangelism is not a key theme. You know what a key theme is? The church. One another. Community. Devotion to Yahweh, to Jesus Christ, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and devotion to one another. Sharing our faith comes out of that. 
but it's not the entirety of our faith. It's not the entirety of our calling as a church. We don't exist to, you know, to just simply and only bring more people to faith in Jesus Christ. That is part of, but it's an overflow. Because when we are taken care of, when we are experiencing the radical presence of the glory of God, we naturally want others to partake in that. So it comes out of a heart, not out of pressure, not out of uh, being, you know, being, you know, being um, uh, what's the word? My vocabulary, I need to stop drinking the fluoride in the water. <laughs> um, the Don't be compa- compelled, no, that's not the word. Coerced type of thing? Yeah, um, pressure. Anyway. You know what I mean? Like pressure, like it's, it's not out of this like guilt and shame type deal. And it's like this weird overly emphasized emphasis, accentuated emphasis on the urgency of evangelism. I think God's, God, here's the thing, like if we, if we learn anything from Philip, is that he had a posture of readiness. He was ready. And maybe God might use more of us than others. Use, you know, use us more than others for a certain purpose, for a certain reason, for a certain mission. Maybe God is, has called someone to be completely, you know, to be single, to devote their life to the sharing of the gospel and just simply every moment, every decision, they're going to certain places because God's spirit is leading them to different places to talk to different people. And that's awesome. But we don't need to put pressure that everyone is meant to be always active and urgent, you know, urgently sharing the gospel all the time, all day, every day. I almost knocked over his guitar. <laughs> it's not a compulsory doing. Philip followed the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He didn't get ahead of the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, the, the first came not by the Holy Spirit, the first message, but by an angel, by a messenger of Yahweh. This could be you know, a spiritual being, but it could also refer to a person that was sent, to, sent by God to Philip to tell him that he needed to go here, go on the road, to, you know, go to Gaza. Then the Holy Spirit led him more directly. And so we, we see these things, this, this posture of readiness, this posture of willingness. And so there's a word that if we're not in this posture of readiness and posture of willingness that the Bible uses to describe our, 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 our current place, our, uh, you know, our state of mind, and that is the word coward. Those who draw back from the clear... like Imagine if, if, if Philip... You know, this messenger from Yahweh, this angel of Yahweh came and said, go to Gaza. He's like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm really seeing, I love what's going on right here in the, in the church. And, you know, I'm really excited for what's going on in Jerusalem. So I'm just, I'm just going to chill here. Cool. Thank you, though. Have, have a nice life. Or if, it, if he would have, you know, going to Gaza and got distracted by the first message of go to Gaza. But that wasn't the goal. He didn't listen to the Holy Spirit to say stop. He's like, no, no, God... He's fine. He, oh, he's a dirty Ethiopian. I don't need it. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't really want me to stop. I'm just going to go to Gaza. And then he gets to Gaza. He's like, well, there's nothing here for me. I don't know what's going on here. Because he didn't obey. He didn't obey. He wasn't listening. It means to draw back 
and, and so as not to advance the kingdom of God or rock the boat or stir the pot or ruffle feathers. Those who, you know, or those who love this world, the word coward also could mean or those who love this world or those who prefer friendship with the world and the people in this world over their love and devotion to Jesus. I'd rather have a better relation, good relationship, a good working relationship, or a better friendship with this person, or I'm worried about losing this friendship or this relationship, so I'm just not going to say anything and just let it stay in the status quo. Coward. But this is where the Bible comes into play, where he talks about, you know, to those who, what, conquer I will give this, I will give that, I will give this, I will give that. All this reward to those who conquer, who press forward, who don't let the call of God become this thing that they reject, but something that they willingly uh, willingly accept and they walk in, that is when we conquer. To those who conquer, I will give this or that. To those who stay faithful and strong and, and in the midst, uh, and faithful and faith, you know, faithful in the midst of great opposition, persecution, pain, and suffering, to those I will give this or that. I will never erase their name from the book of life. But he has some other things to say, you know. But to the cowards, we are not like. But the Bible also says. But we are not those who draw back in fear. We are not those who draw back. What is it? We are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers. Because we conquer the darkness. That's our mission. It's our goal. It's our call. We conquer the the darkness. By what? By keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. By walking by His Holy Spirit. how do we do that? How do we listen? How are we willing? We're going to talk about that in our questions here. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Pray your glory would be known to all of us today, God. Show us your goodness. Show us your glory. Show us your presence with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.